welcome to episode two of Cyberbytes the Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cooper, co-founder of Esperon Search, a niche solely focused cybersecurity search firm. This week's guest, we have security evangelist Jay Tilton. We're going to go over Jay's background, why he went back to school. We're going to talk about one of the most used buzzwords in cyber right now, zero trust, and why he's so passionate about it, and much more. First things first, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. Thank you for having me on. It's great. Thank no, you. Pleasure, mate. Pleasure's all mine. You've been busy. So you was in Birmingham last week, was you? I was in Birmingham last week for an event. I've got a couple more events coming up. Uh, it's good to get out of network again. It's good to see people face to face. I mean, we had a long period of time when we couldn't do it. So it's it's nice to, put, to kind of meet people again. And I'm quite active on LinkedIn, as are you and, and a few yeah. other people. And I've not met a lot of people. So it's nice to actually kind of put those faces or, or put those names to faces and, and meet people and shake hands so it's yeah 100 percent. so obviously we've met face to face uh out in vegas for black cat we did yes yeah, so, yes yeah, so we won't we won't go into that just yet but um before with all my guests i'm keen to just take it right back to where it all began for you and your career and we can sort of take it all to being a security evangelist to access so, yeah run me through it wow so i'm old you can tell from the gray hair um so I went to university to do mathematics. Computers weren't really a thing. I mean, some of my friends had like a ZX Spectrum, but they weren't a thing. There was no internet. That's how old I am. I went to university to do a maths degree and I ended up combining it with a maths and computer degree. I learned a bit of programming. Um, started playing games at university, things like Doom and Quake. Um, I don't know how I passed my degree because I spent my final year actually playing Quake. Um, but then the first job I actually got was supporting the game quick work for id software um i had a very good mentor there a very good leader um and as much as it was fun he encouraged me to kind of branch out from just playing games and get into the networking we we used to set up and play together on the network so he taught me a little bit about networking um i realized that that job really wasn't going to go anywhere as much as it was fun and they kind of paid us with pizzas and beer um, I left and went to work for um, a, a travel company and that travel company sold travel into big corporates. Mm -hmm. um, and I did uh, IT support there and a bit of network admin, kind of started studying my Microsoft stuff back then. Um, then wanted to move into the with the girl I was dating at the time uh, and, and the job was too far the other way from where she wanted to live. So I ended up moving, moving jobs. Mm -hmm. Went to work for a Japanese company, um, Funnily enough, I was the only person in the IT team because that's what it was like back then. Wow. And I kind of really grew with that company. I mean, it was a Japanese company. Um, we went from me being the single person in Europe to me managing a team of seven or eight um, kind of IT support people and then the network engineers and then sysadmins and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, really enjoyed it there. Did a lot of mergers and acquisition type stuff. Um did quite a lot of qualifications. I got the kind of buzz of, of learning and studying and passing exams and did a whole bunch of Microsoft stuff, a whole bunch of VMware stuff, then some leadership stuff. Um, unfortunately, they went through a bit of an economic downturn and I got laid off. Um, but probably the best thing that ever happened to me, if I'm honest, because it gave me kind of a bit of a kick up the ass. Mm -hmm. um, went to work in Formula One for a while. So went to work for what was called Mercedes High Performance Engines in Northampton. Yep. Um, met some of my heroes like Michael Schumacher, Lewis Hamilton, those kind of people. Um, but it was a contract. Um, and although the contract did go full time, I struggled with the amount of time I was out of the country, obviously going to all the races. It was a lot, mm -hmm. um, jumped ship and went to work for a company called TT electronics back in kind of a global integration type role. 
um, managing the the global IT kind of team at that point. So not so much operations kind of support, but managing all projects. Um, they were very acquisitional. So we were always acquiring new companies and doing integrations or opening new sites or refurbing sites, moving sites around. Um, again, they're more of a leadership role, kind of sat on the board, um, did my MBA because I was really excited about learning more about the business. Um, and then as like just before the pandemic got really quite interested in like the whole zero trust movement, mm-hmm. um, which has kind of led me to being at Access. Got you, got you. Loads to pick out there, loads. Um, where do you want to start? I think um, naturally the shift from IT to going into cyber would probably be a, a good start. When you first were studying, did you ever think cybersecurity? Was it on your radar? When did cyber or security become a, a thing? I mean, to, to be blunt about it, cyber has grown out of IT. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started my career, people didn't even have usernames and passwords. You literally just sat down at a desk and everyone could use the machine. I mean, there might even have only been two or three computers. Um then that kind of grew a little bit to being um, more computers on the network because you accessed ERP systems, but they were normally cabled directly from the computer back to that ERP system. There was no kind of LAN, as we would call it nowadays. Um, it was only really when people started getting email that people needed a separate email address. So that kind of became linked to their username. And, and then over a period of time, people were like, we don't want other people to read our emails. So we'll put passwords on. Mm. Um so I would have said I've been in security all my career. Yeah. And that might seem odd. Um, but I mean, I did a lot of due diligence for acquisitions and I did a lot of opening sites or moving sites. And there were always questions about the security of the network and obviously more so recently than in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But I was always concerned when I was plugging in a newly acquired business onto our network. I mean, I spent a lot of my time creating global MPLS or SD-WAN type networks. And you'd acquire a company and there'd be this pressure of, you need to connect them, they need access to our systems, we need access to their systems. And I would always be the one raising my hand going, do we trust them? Mm -hmm. And no offense to the people in that organization, and we've done a little bit of due diligence, um, but do we know that all their machines are patched and do we know that they've all got a virus checker on and do we know how they protect against all of these threats. And I mean, we're talking like before ransomware became a thing. Mm-hmm. I was the one raising my hand going, we probably need a little bit more eyes on this network. Cause as much as you can do due diligence, it's a bit like when you look at a car, you might be able to walk around the car. You might be able to kick the tires. You might get five minutes in it, but you don't get a lot. You haven't, you, you don't get a real kind of look. Um, and I guess for me, I haven't really transitioned into cyber. Got you. I've grown up with IT and cyber around me mm-hmm. and I still kind of wear those hats now. I mean, I don't disconnect cybersecurity and IT. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think cybersecurity has to be in the culture of a business. Um, it has to be something that not just the IT team or the security team are talking about. It needs to be something everyone is aware of. And even more so nowadays, everyone even in the street needs to be aware of the threats that are out there. Yeah. Um, but I don't 
I don't really discount. Yeah, 100%. Them. No, fair enough. Fair enough. What about um, going back to school? What 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 made that come about? Oh, I, <laughs> I, I'm the kind of person that always likes the challenge myself. And I, I, I've thought about this because other people have asked me this question. And mm. I like the euphoria of passing an exam or of achieving something. Yeah. Um, so even when I left university, I started studying almost instantly. And I like to pass the exam to prove to myself that I've learned whatever it is I'm learning. Mm -hmm. And whether that be, I, I learned to scuba dive and then it was like, I need to do the advanced diver and then I need to do the next thing and the next thing. And then I need to do my advanced driving test and then i need to do motorcycle test and then i wanted to get my black belt in karate before i was 40 which i did then it was like i want to know more about the business how can i best understand the business and, and the processes within the business so that kind of brought along the mba yeah. and then i've done some stuff on zero trust because i just like to learn um mm -hmm. well let's go into that what, what, what exactly is zero trust in your definition of things Oh. I know I saw it in Las Vegas when we were there and it was a big, big buzzword, but I just want to know from you. what, what... Oh, It's a difficult one. Zero trust is absolutely everywhere at the moment. Every vendor is saying that there's zero trust. Um, and it's not a technology. It, it's a, it's a, it's a mindset. It's never trust, always verify. I mean, John Kinderbag says it and, and we, yeah. we've interviewed him for our podcast, me and John and, and, for me, it's just looking at things differently. And and I have to take some responsibility for allowing trust to exist on the networks and on the networks I've created. Mm -hmm. Because computer systems historically wouldn't run unless there was trust. Yeah. You need People needed to get everywhere. And to get everywhere, you just opened all the doors. Um, so the analogy I like to use is, it's much better now that you get checked when you go into a hotel. They check you in. They give you a key that only takes you to the room that you are staying in. And it will be better if you actually got escorted there. But in a lot of hotels nowadays, you can't even get in the lift unless you use that key. So you pretty much can't go anywhere unless you, you have the right kind of credentials. And they check you. They check your ID. And they do kind of posture checks against you when you get there. And they, they give you access to your room. Historically, the front door was open and you just walked in and you could go wherever you want. Mm. And it was because you were trusted not to go in other people's rooms or you were trusted not to go places you shouldn't go. But in the world we live in now, you've got these kind of ransomware and this, these attackers that are going places that you don't want them to go. So it's not necessarily about not trusting the users. It's mm. about not being open to there being mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if I'm a user and I accidentally click on a ransomware, say email, phishing email, and they are very, very smart nowadays, it's very hard to tell the difference. Yeah. If I've got access to everything on my network, I can go absolutely everywhere. That fish that I've accidentally just clicked on can go absolutely everywhere. Mm -hmm. It needs to not do that. So for me, Zero trust is a mindset. It's a cultural change. It's not just a bit of technology. It's not really an IT project or a, or a cybersecurity project. It's a business project. Mm -hmm. And the business needs to understand all about these threats that exist today. And that zero trust can help. I mean, 
we've i've seen buzzwords over the last 25 years i've seen fads come and go i've seen things talked about we we did a podcast yesterday where we talked about ipv6 and that everyone was going to be on it in 10 years and it's 25 years later and they're not um i think zero trust is going to take time to deploy and is a bit of a shift for people but it's not just a buzzword i think yeah, there's, got, yeah. there's, there's value in it i know you're super passionate about it but where, where why is that where did that passion for the subject matter come from um bizarrely i i rolled out zscaler at my a previous company mm -hmm. um and it was actually through being put in contact with them from AT&T. So we used to have a global network with AT&T. And I didn't like the way that their VPN worked. I didn't like the way that it just put everyone on the network. Mm -hmm. um, and no offense to AT&T, everybody's VPN did that at the time, right? Um, they put me in contact with Zscaler. And I looked at Zscaler and I was like, this is a great way of doing it. This take this this doesn't put people on the network. It connects people just to applications. And, and that's how it should be. Um so we went down the route of purchasing Zscaler. We rolled it out pre-pandemic, kind of was the savior for the company I worked at. Um, kept everyone working during the pandemic and had more security. Um, the pandemic hit me quite hard. I mean, I'd spent most of my life traveling and suddenly I'm sat in this room for two and a half years and it, it got me thinking and it made me think that Zero Trust is kind of the future mm -hmm. be because it enables people to work remotely but securely. And as people started to kind of go back to offices or being called back to the offices and business started to change and our Zscaler contract came up for renewal, I went out and did some investigation because so much technology advancement had happened in the pandemic. I just wanted to see what else existed. And the reason I wanted to do that was because I wanted to find a tool that was secure and I wanted to find a tool that enabled people to have that flexibility that we'd got used to having. And it was only really when I came across Access and I got quite excited by what they were doing and I saw the kind of enhancements they'd made over what, what Zscaler was, my brain kind of took this pivot and I was thinking, and it's going to sound very odd, but I was thinking if companies don't start using these kind of tools, people are going to get called back into an office because people like me are going to be concerned. I can't secure my users when they're at home. So I'm going to have to make them come back. And I was thinking that takes away people's flexibility and their freedom. And I don't, yeah. I I want to help Love companies that. be more secure, but in a roundabout way, ensure that users have that flexibility. Yeah. And I know that sounds very odd. No, that, that makes um, sense. But that's, that's kind of how, that's kind of where the passion came from. Yeah. And kind of why I ended up at Axis as well. So it what, kind of answers. What, what is your role at Axis? What so what what exactly is a security evangelist? I know most people are going to be listening to this thinking it's a sexy title, but what 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 actually are you doing there, and what what are you getting up to? So the, the the title has many different. I guess it's many different titles. It can be field CTO. It can be tech evangelist, security evangelist, um, and it means different things for different people. So, but my actual role is. To go out and speak to prospects or customers and to talk with them about my experiences because I've sat in their seat. And it sounds arrogant. I don't mean for it to sound like that, but I've sat there. I've been the one getting calls in the middle of the night. I've been the one dealing with potential compromises or real compromises and, and virus attacks and ransomware and training and all that. I've, I've sat there and I've dealt with that. So 
I can go out and listen to them and help them and, and try and advise them. So it's kind of an advisory role. Mm-hmm. But also because Axis is a relatively new startup, I have direct access. Me and John have direct access into the project management team and the R&D team. Mm-hmm. So if a customer has something that they require and we can see value in it, then we can directly kind of liaise with the product and R&D teams. Yep. Um, and and create that in the product. Now that's not always going to happen in a lot of bigger companies where things have moved on quite a lot. Um, but we like to listen to the customers and the prospects, and because they're the ones that have the problems, they're the ones that have the ideas, they're the ones that are living and breathing it every day. Um, so I can take my kind of twenty five years experience of doing what they're doing, and help them. And not always necessarily about buying access, but just advise them in general about things like SD WAN and other things that I've done. Mm-hmm. But also take what they want and feed it back to R and D, and get the product adjusted yeah. or additional development. Um, but also, I host the SSE forum. Yep. Let's talk um, about that. Let's talk about it. What, what what exactly is that? And who's John? You've mentioned him for those that don't know. So John is uh, John Spiegel. He's my wingman on the SSE forum. So we we co-founded. Um, the SSE forum it is sponsored by Axis, but it's completely agnostic. Um, we have we started off just having monthly meetings with a group of like-minded kind of CISO, CIOs, architects, and talking about really just SSE. Um, but then we started to get questions about cybersecurity in general from from that team of people. So we still hold those monthly meetings, but we also invite guests along. So we've had Chase Cunningham come along. Um, we've had Jim Reavers and Paul Simmons come along. Um, and then we really wanted to understand what Zero Trust was. Um, so we went back to the likes of John Kindervag and Chase and Paul when we interviewed them for a podcast. And it was supposed to be four or five episodes of a podcast where we interviewed these guys. We got to the bottom of kind of where Zero Trust came from and, and why it's important today. But we had such good feedback that it's now turned into this series where we've done like 30 plus episodes. And now we're on YouTube as well, because we had people going, it's great to be able to listen to you in the car or when we're walking a dog, but can you do videos as well? Um, so we also do that. So we, we do that and we write articles for the SSE forum. I also write articles about burnout and ransomware and all the kind of threats and, and stuff to do with predictions for 2023. Cause everyone had to do that. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wear multiple hats. I yeah. really enjoy it. You can probably tell I really enjoy talking. How do you do it, mate? Because I even saw that you're doing some stuff with like the Cloud Security Alliance as well, the CSA. Yeah, so um, I met Jim Rivas um, through the podcast and then we had lunch with him when we were actually at Black Hat. Okay. Um, it was the first time I physically met him. Yeah. I obviously know Paul Simmons because he's in the UK. I've met him a few times. And that they spoke to me about being involved in their kind of zero trust training that they're doing. The CSA are doing as well as the exams. And obviously training comes with exams. And as I said earlier on the, on this, I really like learning and I really like taking exams. So when they reached out to me and said, could you help with the learning? I'm like, I've never done that before, but yes. So I'm involved in writing some of the documentation and I wouldn't say I'm writing a vast amount of it. Cause that's not really my skill set. But I'm the one kind of reviewing Got you. if I think it makes sense or not to somebody like me. like Because really, I'm just an architect. I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of where I started. 
Um, and then writing the exam questions and stuff like that. Um, but I'm also in a couple of the CSA's working groups um, on zero trust and a few other things. And we talk, me and John talk on something of panels and stuff. Hmm. Um, it's a very different world to, to what I've done before. I mean, I, I literally went from the light side to the dark side and people <laughs> laugh when I say sales is a dark side, but to me, it was a dark art. Yeah. Um, and I love it and it's exciting, but it's definitely very different. I mean, I, I'm not on call 24 by seven like I was before. And I didn't, I don't panic now every time the phone rings that there's a major disaster. Um, but I'm definitely way outside my comfort zone. Yeah. Um, the talking in the podcasting and stuff I've done before, I'm, I'm happy to do that. And I love talking. Um, but the writing articles and stuff like that, I, I, yeah, imposter uh, syndrome was hard. Yeah, yeah, amazing. What about um for those that are listening to this and want to learn a little bit more about zero trust? What what resources would you say dive into this? Obviously, I'm going to say the SSE forum. I'll plug that. I'll get that in on the bottom <laughs> of the links. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, and I'm not just I'm not just saying that. I mean, to be fair, I never realised I was really doing zero trust like three, four, five years ago because it I, I hadn't heard of it. Um, it was only really by doing the podcast with 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 John Kinderwag and the and the likes of those that I realised that it's that it's older where it came from. So those interviews are worth having a listen to because John tells you exactly where it came, where the terror came from. Um, CSA is a good place. I mean, there's a lot more information that exists today than there was a year ago on zero trust there's obviously the executive order in the us where the government said that must do zero trust um there's some stuff in nist and some other documents like that but they are quite difficult to read um there's a couple of good books out there there's one from jason garbis um there's one from george finney um and george looks at more of the human factors yeah. Um, and I'll, I can drop you the information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll put it all in the links to the show notes. Yeah. Um, the CSA's training is pretty good. There are some vendors out there that are talking zero trust, and you can do some vendor based zero trust training. Mm -hmm. um, I've done some of it, and it's okay to give you an overview, but obviously it's quite product specific. Yeah. CSA is writing a training course that is aimed at several different levels so there's some architectural stuff in there or some CISO stuff or CIO stuff mm -hmm. um and I think that's quite good um there are some groups on LinkedIn that talk about zero trust awesome. um and obviously no, podcasts like this yeah yeah amazing Jay absolute pleasure having you on my man thank you very much sorry for talking so much as love always it. absolutely loved it